Hello, this is Jane. You are listening to the Philotic Ansible, an endless game podcast brought to you by the PhilotticWeb.net and EndlessAnsible.com. On today's episode, our guest is Aaron Johnston, longtime collaborator with Austin Scott Card and co-author of the brand new end of his book coming out this July, Earth Underwear, a novel of the first formic war. And now your host, Gravity Defier. Hi, thank you for joining us for the Philotic Ansible podcast, brought to you by philoticweb.net and endersansible.com. Today we have a very special guest who has written for the comics, has worked alongside Orson Scott Card, on a book that's coming out soon, but more on that later. I would like to uh, introduce all of our listeners to Mr. Aaron Johnston. Hi, Aaron. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us. Everyone's going to be really excited to hear this interview. We asked fans to contribute to the questions and chose the best of those questions to include in the interview, so hopefully some people recognize those. Um, But we will go ahead and get started with some basic questions that maybe not everyone knows. Um, Would you enlighten us? um, Have you always wanted to be a writer? Was that something that you wanted to do as a child? Was it something that you kind of grew into? How did that come about? Uh, Well, when I was probably old enough to decide or to probably recognize what a real career was, um, you know, this isn't counting the I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a fireman stage of my childhood, but um, when I was old enough to realize what a career was, I did want to be a screenwriter. I always wanted to, to, to write films. And when I went to school, to college, I studied screenwriting. Um, and then I went uh, then I went on a mission for the LDS Church, actually. And while, and while I was out of my mission, I thought, you know, um, being a screenwriter is really tough. And um, it's not like a steady job. It's like a job-to-job basis. So I think I'll do something a little more, um, um, you know, that, that has a more steady income, that has benefits. <laughs> so I actually studied advertising. I knew I wanted to be a writer, but uh, I thought I'd be a writer of advertising. So that's, what, that's how I started my career, you know, writing radio commercials, writing TV, writing print advertising. Um, so I, I knew I always wanted to be a writer. I just didn't think I'd end up being a advertising copywriter. <laughs> But that's, but that's where I ended up career-wise at the beginning of my career. And have you found that that advertising background has been helpful? I mean, obviously, there is that connection in just the writing portion, but specifically the advertising, has that helped at all in the writing process? Do you think that's hurt it at all? How has that been an impact on anything? Uh, I think it absolutely has helped. You know, I mean, advertising, good advertising anyway, because there's a lot of bad advertising, but good advertising is storytelling. You know, I mean, if you think about um, your favorite TV commercials, um, they are 30 second stories, um, unless they're a 60 second spot, in which they're a 60 second story. <laughs> but good advertising is storytelling. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And of course, you know, there is a brand that's involved in that story. But um, that's how successful brands are made by by sharing stories with people that they can relate to, they can fall in love with. There, you know, there's two types of advertising. Advertising that makes you cry or advertising that makes you laugh. And in both instances, you're telling a story. And for me, 
working in advertising has especially been helpful in preparing mer- preparing me for comics. You know, because writing you know, for comics is you have to be extremely economical with your words. You want you know, a comic book is 22 pages, and in a comic book, you know, there there are several panels to a page, and the more dialogue you have, the more art you cover up because because the speech balloons have to be have to be bigger. And so when you when you write excessively in comic, are you are you are hiding uh, the talent of one of your collaborators? So so working in advertising really helped me to be economical in your words. You know, thirty seconds of airtime is thirty seconds. You know, what I mean, mm-hmm. you can only say so much in that a lot of time, and only communicate that much, and only tell a story for so much in that amount of time. So. Um, it, it, it did help me, you know. Some people may read what I've written and say, "Well, it obviously didn't help you." <laughs> <laughs> I, not the case, but and I and I actually still do work in advertising. I, I do part time, and, and I love it. Um, this may be or may seem as though it's a redundant question, but I'm curious. A lot of people do grow up saying, and you know, even at a later date and or later stage in life, saying they want to become a writer, but. For yeah. some of us, that still seems like quite the stretch. That seems to some people as impossible to succeed at as becoming an actress or an actor. So um, besides the getting your foot in the door in advertising, um, how did you really make a name for yourself in writing? How did you get to the point where you became a successful writer and could call that a career? Uh well, that's a very good question, you know, and I think there's a difference between, you know, um, having a career as a writer and being a successful writer, you know. Um, I mean, anyone anyone who actually sits down and writes a story, even if they think that story is atrocious, and even if they're right, <laughs> uh, they are a writer, you know. Um, we oftentimes, in our society, we kind of, I don't know why, but we kind of put writers, you know, up on this pedestal and we think, oh, you're a writer. But, you know, anyone who writes, just because someone is a published writer doesn't necessarily mean they're a better writer. Um, I've been extremely fortunate um, to have a career as a writer, and, and that's one of the reasons why I began my career in advertising, because I knew that in that field I could be a writer, I could, I could be creative, um, and yet I could still, you know, pay my mortgage and, and food on the table for my children. Uh, so, um, so yeah, so I think, you know, I think you're correct, you know, being a, uh, a writer solely as a career, like in fiction, is extremely difficult. You know, I, it, I, it's, probably, it's probably not an overstatement to comparing it to the degree of difficulty to have a career as, as an actor, um, which is extremely difficult. You know, I, I moved to L.A. several years ago. I heard this statistic, which was basically, you know, more than 80 percent, you know, this is a statistic, so more than 80 percent of members of the Screen Actors Guild um, make less than $8,000 a year. Wow. <laughs> and that would yeah. explain why some of them are so skinny. <laughs> It's very difficult to, to make. I mean, it's extremely difficult to 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 uh, be a writer as a, uh, as a career, and, and uh, I consider myself very very fortunate that I'm able you know I'm able to do this. Um, 
I don't necessarily think that I'm a better writer than those who are unpublished. I just consider myself more fortunate. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I just, I think a lot of people really have a hard time seeing it the way you said, where successfully writing is not the same as being a published writer. So thank you for clarifying that. Now, one fan asked, how much of the Ender's Game series have you actually read? And that includes the books, both the Ender's Saga and the Shadow series. Um, comics that we of course know that you wrote some of them so we know that you read those but um, that would also include short stories how much of that have you experienced uh all of it is to my knowledge i mean i I, unless there's unless there's something hiding somewhere (laughs) i'm pretty sure that i've read uh everything in the universe very cool and from that series, do you have a favorite character? And if so, why are they your favorite character? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I mean, the re- I think the reason why, one of the primary reasons why uh, Orson Scarcard is my favorite author and why he's beloved by so many readers is because he creates such vivid characters. You know, people who, who we not only can recognize, and relate to, but people we, we really fall in love with, you know. Um, there are, you know, I could spend hours answering this question. Probably <laughs> <laughs> most fans of the Enderverse could do the same, I think, you know, because there are so many characters that all of us love. Well, of course, you know, everyone's answer would be Ender, of course, but uh, uh, Valentine is probably my second choice, and the reason, there's several reasons. One, uh, because uh, my older sister reminds me so much of Valentine, um, and the relationship I have sister is is very much like or at least I would like to think is very much like the relationship that Ender has um, with Valentine, the relationship that I have with my sister um, you know I, I'm just uh, I'm just drawn to Valentine's compassion, to her uh, to her intelligence, to her devotion, to her own family and to her brother's cause and to the causes she kinds of finds in her life you know, Valentine is, um, you know, she's extremely brave. You know, I love the scenes in the novel in Ender's Game when she kind of confronts Graf. You know, here's this here's this military figure, this older man who who's in a position of power, uh, and yet she don't mess around. You know, <laughs> she, uh, she kind of uh, is, is unafraid of Graf. I mean, she goes along with what he asks her to do but only because she's smart enough to recognize that it's the right thing to do. I also love Mazer Rackham, and I think, you know, everybody loves Mazer, but I especially like Mazer because um, because I've had the privilege of writing Mazer. You know, mm-hmm. we see a lot of Mazer Rackham in, in the First Form of War trilogy, um, and I don't want to give away too much, but um, he plays a pivotal role in those books, and it's been... It's been you know, for me, as um, as as a lifelong, well, nearly a lifelong fan of Ender's Game, it's just been thrilled to 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 work with him, um, and it's been an honor to to kind of to to have him incorporated in the stories that I'm working on. Um, but I, I, I will I mention every single character yeah. that everyone. We all love Bean. We all love Graph. Um, we all love Dink. I love. You know, I, 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 I wish there, I wish I could do, and maybe I'll pitch this to Scott someday, but, uh, I think Dink is a fascinating character. Um, I think Dink is a lot like me. 
Um, except perhaps he's more intelligent than me. <laughs> well, what other similarities would you say you see in Dink that you feel are are characteristics that you have? Besides, I'm I'm not going to comment on the intelligence. They are intelligent children, but I think they're kind of um, unfairly intelligent. So we're going to just take that off the table. What other similarities do you see between yourself and Dink? Yeah, you know, Dink is, um, Dink, I think, is an introvert. Um, you know, he's someone who's kind of avoided command. He's had the opportunity to be in a leadership position in battle school, and yet he's, uh, he's passed on that. Um, and, um, you know, he recognizes that he could, you know, play the slacker game and probably get out of responsibility, but he loves the game. I'm, so I, I, I'm, I'm like Dean in that, Dink in that, uh, um, I love the game. You know, even, I, I would put up with all the crap that, um, that battle school kids must endure, um, just to be a part of the game. Okay. Very cool answer. Now, you did mention something along the lines of everyone loves Bean, which actually you could argue against. I'm not going to get into the debate about, uh, Who's better, Ender or Bean, which is also a very popular pastime for um, most Ender fans. But one of the things that a lot of fans that I interact with say is the story shifted between the Ender series and the Shadow series. So it's not, it doesn't feel like the same story to most people. It feels like the characters, even within a normal range of growth, have either followed what people expected or not, which is going to happen with any series, but um, do you like where the series is headed? It seems to be one of those polarizing things for fans where people either love it or hate it. So do sure. you, how do you feel about that? About 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 the, the Bean series? Well, about the entire series, um, since yeah. we're going to just go with the fact that Bean is a spinoff, but it's still related to the whole Underverse. Sure. Well, here's what here's what I've kind of learned um, in my own writing and in following not only not only books in the universe but um, other long-standing series. You know, mm-hmm. uh, writers evolve. You know, um, and as do human beings. You know, I mean, I am I I would like to think that I'm not the same person I was ten years ago. You know, I mean, I think if you were to if you were to have a videotape of me, <laughs> as a, you know, doing something random ten years ago, I think I, I think I'd behave differently now. You know, I think I I make decisions slightly differently. My priorities have changed. Mm-hmm. I'm in a much different position in my life. You know, now I have four kids. Um, I didn't ten years ago, um, and so you know, I think um, I, I think characters characters can do the same. You know, I, I think sometimes. Sometimes fans, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm guilty of this as, as well as much as anybody, I think sometimes fans can be a little too critical, a little too, you know, I, I, it always cracks me up when I, when I go on Amazon. I, you know, I, I find one of my favorite books, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it had just a profound effect on me whose characters were, were, you know, were believable and, and, and vivid and, um, and just who I empathized with and... and and and, um, and you'll find like you know 300 one stars you know and people who will call oh that's crap you know I mean and, and people that we we've become a kind of a society of haters you know I, I and, um, and I, I think sometimes um, 
we can be a little too critical of of the art in um, the media and the entertainment we digest because we expect it to do what we want it to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, and that isn't to say there isn't a lot of crap out there because <laughs> you know there are a lot of crappy TV shows, there are a lot of crappy books. Um, but sometimes I think you know we can be a little a little too critical, and and, and we can you know it, it cracks me up when I read like you know reviews for like say for example la- later books in a, a Song of Ice and Fire trilogy, George R. R. Martin's trilogy. You know, mm-hmm. oh, oh, went to crap. And this book is worthless. And I want to say, seriously? <laughs> is it worthless? You know? um, I, frankly, you know, when I read Shadows, Shadows and Flight, the most recent book in the Bean series, it really moved me. Um, you know, the last line of that book is, is just such simply stated poetry to me. I mean, you know, I mean, people can disagree with me. As brief as it is, uh, I, I thought it was—I thought it was beautifully done. I enjoyed the Bean series um, as much as I've enjoyed the Ender series. You're right; they're a di- they're a very different series. But of course, you know, every book in the Ender series is different from the previous book. You know, mm-hmm. my friends, my, I, I tell everybody I meet that they should read Ender's Game, right? Yes, of course. Here for the day. It's it's not what you think a sequel is, you know what I mean? Very different book. Speaker for the Dead is genocide, as is Children of the Mind, you know. And that's one of the things that's so fascinating to me about that series is is it's so non-traditional in realness. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, yes. You could definitely separate the last three from Ender's Game and come out. I think of that series just as moved by the story as you would if you read Ender's Game. So, yeah, it's absolutely a uh, very unique series, that one. Um, And I do think you're right about people wanting to, or maybe not even wanting to consciously, but being very critical of stories. And I think a part of it with the Ender's Game series is just a matter of it being so personal to so many people. A lot of people I know are either lifelong fans or read it in middle school or high school and are now, you know, it's been out for, what, almost 20 years at this point. So it's a very personal experience for a lot of people. So that's definitely something they're going to take and be very protective of. So Absolutely right. You know, I, I think about Ender's Game and, 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 and I don't know, I'm not sure when you first read it, but um, like a lot of people, you know, my age, um, we read it when we were, even people today, they read it when they, re- they first read it when they're in middle school or when they're in high school, when they're young, and when they feel vulnerable, you know, um, when we feel um, that that we are that we are slaves to other masters, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so we really relate to Ender because you know he is, here's this kid who's who's very vulnerable. But who who is suddenly empowered, and um, I think it's a I think it's a, a story that a lot of us relate to a very fragile, delicate <laughs> stage of our own growth and adolescence, and it had such a profound effect on us. That I know it, it did at least for me. It kind of shifted, you know. For me, um, it, um, Ender's Game is as much an epiphany 
as it is a story. You know, because for me, Ender's Game is like, wow, here's a kid who did something amazing, who has a great potential. You know, I can do great things too. I'm not solely a target for bullies. I'm not, I don't solely exist to be pushed into lockers. (laughs) (laughs) And so for me, Ender's Game was like realizing, hey, there's a place in the world for smart people. You know, there, there's, a, you know, there, if, if I, uh, I can do great things too. You know, I'm not going to necessarily save the world, um, but I think a lot of people love Ender's Game because Ender's Game teaches us um, that we can, we can do great things, that, um, that uh, you know, it's cool to be a geek. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think another thing that it really teaches people is, the importance of doing things for your family or for people who care about you um, is one of the things you could take away. And I think that a lot of people are more willing to kind of, uh, what's sort I'm looking for, they're more willing to sacrifice themselves for the people they love. So there are so many things, really, that you could pull from that. And I think that's really important, though, to teens, the idea of, being able to be something to someone. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, you know, I think that you kind of see that thread, or at least I have through, through all of Scott Card's work. You know, this is someone who really understands what a family is, you know what I mean? And how Mm -hmm. a family function and what a family must endure and the pains that a family has, has undergone, you know, you know, Scott Card, whom I respect immensely, you know, his, he has had tragedy in his life and in his family that have that have um, that have had a profound effect on him, and um, and I think that's why some of his books are so moving and so touching, and so relatable to us. Well, thank you for answering those questions. That was really fascinating to hear your responses. I know I've started to look at a few things differently already, so. I'm pretty excited about that. But moving on, we do have some questions about some other things you've been involved with. For example, we heard that back in May you were down in New Orleans. Um, do you mind giving us an idea of what it was you were up to while you were down there? Sure, yeah. I um, I was on the set of Ender's Game for about a week. Um, it's, and, uh, it's, it's in New Orleans. They're shooting in... in um, an old NASA facility um, where they used to build a lot of the shuttle rockets. And what's amazing about the facility is it's 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 like it was designed to be a movie studio, quite honestly, because you have these these huge bays where they would build the, build these parts of the shuttle or the, the excuse me the rock the rocket boosters, and the bays are all kind of right next to each other, like 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 rooms down a hallway, mm-hmm. but. The, they're humongous, you know, they, I don't know, they're 70 feet tall, they're, you know, 40, 50 feet wide, I mean, they're they're like these, 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 and they're really conducive to a film because you can be building a set in one, in one bay, um, you know, shooting in another bay, uh, tearing down a finished set in another bay, um, which is exactly what they're doing, what they were doing, and the production has now, principal photography has now wrapped, but, um, Amazing experience, you know. Um, you know, I, I, there are some things I can talk about. There, there are far too many things that I can't talk about. Uh, but, uh, but I tell you, I was, uh, I was blown away. I, um, 
I have never been more excited about seeing this game come to life. Um, uh, I can't tell you this. There are a whole lot of extremely talented people in their own respective fields um, giving their their heart and soul to this production. Um, you know, the um, from the costumes to 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 everyone in, everyone in the art department. I mean, I, I was I you know the flash suits look incredible um and you know and all of the art you know all of the sets uh, i was really blown away you know where they're like oh come on through this through this big curtain over here and suddenly you know, i'm on eros you know suddenly i'm like inside eros you know i'm inside formic base and it was it was it was it was incredible it was astounding it was amazing to meet the cast um, I didn't get to meet all of them, you know, because like I said, I'm an, I'm an introvert, so <laughs> or I'm not going to walk up to someone uh, and interrupt them because I'm thinking, okay, maybe they're like a method actor and they're like, oh, and if I break them now, I'll blow the scene later with <laughs> the cast. And, um, and, you know, I got to meet Harrison Ford. Uh, I got to meet Sir Ben Kingsley, um, Aramis Knight, who plays Bean. Um, and you know, I got to meet, I didn't get to meet Asa Butterfield, who plays Ender. I, watched, I got to meet his mother, who is, oh my goodness, who is just such a kind, generous British woman. Um, she was just a great woman. Um, and uh, it was neat. It was, it was an amazing experience. I, 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 I was blown away. I, I, I was thrilled, and, and I'm thrilled to, you know, to have some small part of it, and, and it's been just fantastic. I can't wait. Um, you know, until November when the thing actually comes out, it's, I'm thrilled. What a ringing endorsement! I know a lot of fans are a little concerned. Um, for most people who've been fans for a long time, um, including a lot of the people at Slotic Web since that's been around for uh, 12 years now, we've all been waiting for about 12 years for this movie to be made. Is when they first started making the announcements that they were trying and that Orson Scott Card was writing all these scripts. So I think that's going to put a lot of fans at ease to hear how amazing it looked in person. So I think I can say for everyone that we're really excited right alongside you to see that on the big screen. That's right. Yeah, me too as well. And, you know, and, 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 and at this phase, you know, I didn't get to see everything. I should, I should say that, you know, I mean, and, and, it, it's even kind of unfair to to even speculate, um, you know, how the film is going to end up end up being completely because there's so much yet to yet to be done. You know, I mean, there's there's editing that has to be done. There's special effects that has to be done. There's there's a score that has to be done. You know, I mean, um, all of those things will will have a profound impact on the film. Even even the script, you know, um, even that change. You know. Um, you know, if there are, you know, sometimes lines can be changed um, even after the fact. So, um, and, and, and I am, as far as as far as um, a purist is concerned, I am probably one of the most stringent adherents to this game, as you will find. You know, um, one of my roles as associate producer was, you know, to to read versions of the script uh, and. You know, I am I am a strident defender of of the original material, um, and so and so you know there's a there's a lot of work to be done, but there are there are extremely talented people working on it, and they are devout fans. Of the book. Um, but you know how, how 
it's going to end up in the end, I don't know. You know, I, 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 I'm as anxious to see what it ends up being as you are, but I can say that um, um, what I what I did see uh, was fantastic. Oh, that is really encouraging to hear. So, yeah, we're all very excited. So, I I kind of doubt even if they don't get the best product out that it's going to harm the the film much. I I think that with the quality of everything that we've seen and heard so far that they could just phone the rest in and it would still be a pretty amazing experience. Um that's right. I mean, they could, they could, the movie could break halfway in, and then we go to like, you know, twenty minutes of the Teletubbies, and it would still be a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if most people remember the Teletubbies, but I'm going to assume that they do. Think, yes, yes. Well, you're dating me as well. I remember those too. So. <laughs> Now, you did answer a few questions that fans had, but just so that they know that we asked, um, you did mention that you were um, a producer on the of the film. Um, I forget what term you used specifically to describe the producer you were, but how involved did that make you when you yeah. were on the set and even off of the set? How involved were you because of that? Well, I, I mean, I'm supposed to be credited as an associate producer. When I moved out to L.A., goodness, uh, nine years ago, um, one of my roles was, um, you know, as a, working as a partner with Scott Card in his our, the film development company that, that he and I still work for, which is Tail Swapper. So, um, and, and even then, when, when, when Ender's Game was uh, at Warner Brothers, uh, I was involved in um, in the pre-production for that as well, reading versions of the script, uh, meeting those who would be writing the script, um, and that's kind of what what my role has been. I have been I have had it very easy, you know, to me, and then I'll read them and then I'll I'll give my opinion. <laughs> but you know, my, I'm giving my opinion uh, in a crowd of opinions, right? So um, I don't want to give the impression that I have an enormous amount of clout. But I do like I would like I do like to think that you know Scott Card um, and the producers respect my opinion. Um, um, one of the producers on the film, Lynn Hindi, is quite honestly just just brilliant, um, extremely kind, generous producer. I'm thrilled she's and she's also a a, uh, a hard defender. She she is a purist, um, and um, and you know and with 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 all opinions, you know when you put twenty opinions in a pot. There are going to be some disagreements when when you when you when you have to adapt a novel. Um, you know, you have to decide. It's not so much deciding what goes into the movie; it's deciding what doesn't. You know, uh, what doesn't. And those are hard decisions. You know, I I, 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 I followed some comments from some fans who who have really wanted to see some things um, in the film that um, that frankly aren't going to be there simply because. It can't be. It can't be an eight nine hour film. You know, as much as we as, as much as we fans would love it to be, um, it can't be. Um, and so there are things that must only exist in the novel and in our own imagination. So uh, so it's been a process, and, and, and so that's mostly involved in in reading all the versions of the script. And there have been many over the years, um, and in um, 
and staying in, commun- in communication with the producers and, and commenting on the script. This interview will be continued in part two. Remember, the enemy's gate is down. <laughs>